Princess. Prince? William. Colors. The idea that I represent 220,000 people because 19,000 people voted for me, to me, is crazy. From an uh, ethnic or racial standpoint, um, it was generally older white residents um, who represented the county. If you're not for black and brown people, we're, we're tired of being marginalized. We're tired of you taking our vote and then not and saying, wait your turn, right? We're, we're, we're tired of that. We want this Afro-Latina, Lebanese-Irish woman to serve us and all her sass to bring it. And we expect that. And we're going to hold her accountable. So Prince William County has about 470,000 residents. 287,000 of those are registered voters. But in 2019, only about 112,000 of those voted. That's roughly only 39% of registered voters. Numbers are even crazier when you look at specific precincts. For instance, in Dumfries, 72% people did not vote in the county chairperson election. Thank you for joining us for our debut episode of Prince William Colors podcast. My name is J.B. Upper. And I'm McGranor. And I'm Chloe Presley, and today we will be talking about why local matters. So, of course, that's the tagline for our podcast as well, Local Matters. But today we're really going to be getting into the depth of how that impacts each one of our lives individually and how the county structures are currently set up. So we talked to the chair of the County Board of Supervisors, Ann Wheeler, about how our county is set up, and this is how she explained it. The structure of the board is... Uh, seven magisterial districts that are different sections of the county that are balanced by population uh, based on the census, the 2010 census. And then there is a uh, chair at large, which is over the entire county that everyone votes on at, outside of those magisterial districts. They vote for their magisterial district and as well as voting for the chair at large. And um, you started touching on the powers too. So generally, what are the powers of the Board of County Supervisors? We know at a local level, we really impact the daily lives of Prince William County residents. I, I think a lot, you know, the roads you drive on, um, how they're funded, the funding of the schools, how often where homes are put and parks are, are decided. Uh, in addition to that, we also vote on and approve the budget where, you know, what are the budget priorities? We set the tax rate for different fees as well as personal property tax. Um, and real estate tax. And we also uh, come up with the strategic plan, which is really the vision of the county over five years. So the board's in charge of essentially every part of our lives. That means transportation, health services, education, childcare, parks, recreation, you know, and so many other things. That's a whole lot of things. So why do so many people not vote? I get it, national is sexier and it's all over the news and local doesn't get as much coverage. And so we, that's why we see a lot more of a voter turnout too for national elections. I think it's like somewhere around 72% for the last presidential election. But also local may be set up in a way that doesn't seem so appealing to its voters. I mean, how likely are we to pick up like, I don't know, an Old Bridge Observer or Inside Nova or, you know, one of those websites versus going to CNN or BBC or Fox News to get our news. Well, maybe not Fox News, but... <laughs> not voting in your local elections has severe impacts. For example, in our representation. For so long, our county leaders did not look at all like the people who live here. 
Yeah, it was only in April 2019 that Vic Angry was elected onto the County Board of Supervisors. He was the first non-white person in history to be on the board. And about 11 years after the nation was ready to elect its first black president, finally Prince William County was ready to elect somebody that was black on our Board of Supervisors. That's, that's wild. But ever since the 2019 election, people love to talk about how diverse our County Board of Supervisors is now. Um, just because we have four black members. But is it diverse, though? Because there's one voice that's missing, the Latina voice. Well, it's not necessarily missing. We do have Yesley Vega, who represents the Coles District. I think it says a lot that the only Latina voice we have on the board is a Republican. Yeah, it's funny because whenever people talk about people of color or minorities, they automatically think that it's Democrats that represent all of us as a monolith. But I think it's, it's, it's interesting that the Democrats don't have a Latino candidate on the Board of Supervisors, but the Republicans do. Yeah, we've been talking about the board, but how about our Senate delegation? Why are they all white and all male? I'm guessing you're talking about our state Senate delegation because our two senators to Congress, well, they're also male and white. But our state senators, they are about five of them, and they represent different parts of Prince William County. So they're not all from Prince William County. They might have um, a small region of Prince William County as a part of their district, and the rest be Fairfax or Loudoun, or they might have a big chunk of their district be Prince William County. So we interviewed one of our state senators, Scott Serval, from the 36th district. That's Triangle, Up Route 1, 234 up to Spriggs, and random other parts. God bless gerrymandering. But what do senators even do? I mean, I know that sounds like a dumb question, but I don't think I've ever learned about the role of senators and its impact on me as a student. So Scott Serval actually talked to us about what the state legislature is responsible for. Let's give you a couple examples. I mean, we passed Medicaid expansion a couple years ago, which, which made healthcare available to 300,000 Virginians who never had access to that healthcare before. That's one of the biggest, most meaningful things I've ever got to vote on. Uh, last year, I passed, or last session, 2020, I passed legislation that made uh, temporary one-year driving privilege cards available to people who are undocumented. Uh, and there's about 400,000 people that are expected to benefit from that. And that's legislation that we passed. I mean, some people think that only the federal government does immigration, but there's things we do that affect um, people who are not from the United States or people who are here temporarily or people who, who aren't here legally. There's things we do on that. Um, uh, you know, I could pass a law in theory that, you know, deciding that every Friday at school, there has to have, be pizza for lunch. I mean, like if I want to, if we, if we could, pass a law like that. I mean, in theory, you know, we have that much of an impact, but we tend to sort of delegate things to our localities and let the school board figure things like that out. Northern Virginia Community College has a big presence in Eastern Prince William. That's funded by the state. If you've ever taken an SOL test, that's our fault. COVID, by the way, we're, we're also working on COVID. The whole COVID response is being run by the state. So, I mean, you know, our special session right now is criminal justice reform and COVID. We're, we're going to push through some massive historic legislation in the next month about criminal justice reform. And that um, hopefully it won't affect anybody, but, you know, often people have family members or sometimes themselves get caught up in things and having a forgiving system is very important for people to have a future or people have, you know, a family support in place, you know. And so um, there's lots of lots of ways we impact people's lives every day. OK, so the other part of the state legislature is the House of Delegates, and we have eight delegates that represent Prince William County. 
they don't only represent Prince William County, but a part of their district is included within Prince William County. And this is by far the most diverse local group that we have. We have people that are Indian American, we have Latin American, we have um, black representation. So we have, you know, a bunch of different diverse groups represented in this house delegation. We have some big names here. Jennifer Carol Foy, who's on a run for governor of Virginia. Danica Rome made history as the first transgender person to serve in a state legislature, who was also on the cover of Times. And Hala Yala, who recently threw her hat in the ring for a lieutenant governor. We were lucky to get a little bit of Hala Yala's time. She's the delegate from the 51st district. She was really candid throughout our entire conversation about why we see such little representation of brown and black folk in the political arena. Um, I think any woman in politics faces, you know, and I'm just gonna be very candid, misogyny, sexism, racism, colorism, um, qualifications, which to me is racism, <laughs> you know, in its sense, um, it's deeply rooted. And, and we come, um, you have to fight not only the, the double barriers, but the triple barriers. And it's unfortunate because the language that we use, even our male colleagues use as we're running our race are very uh, sometimes misogynistic in context. Not that they mean it to be that way, but it just happens because we have been trained um, how to address women, right? Just that context of language. So when I decided to run for office, um, it was immediately, who's gonna take care of your kids? Why don't you grow your hair? What color are you again? Are you really this color? Or can I get to, can I do it? Are you gonna do a DNA test? The paper bag test? I mean, I faced it all. And I think what you have to do is really focus on the goal. The goal is service. And that is something I've always done, serving my community, um, fighting for women's rights, um, having, um, black and brown faces at the front of that feminist movement, movement which includes men, um, but trying to, to talk about how we've been left behind in the stories, you know, of suffrage and um, the women's right to vote and just all of that intersectional conversation. The House, you know, we elected in 2017, 15 new candidates, which was like, whoa, because that was one of the largest classes that ever came in. And you had 11 women. The goal was, if you're not for working families, if you're not for raising the minimum wage, if you're not for the little guy, then what are you doing here? What policies are you passing? If you're not for black and brown people, we're, we're tired of being marginalized. We're tired of you taking our vote and then not and saying, wait your turn, right? We're, we're, we're tired of that. Amen. That's amazing. I think it's so incredible to hear her lived experience, which is reflective of the lived experience of so many people in this county. And we're just seeing that being played out in politics for the first time, where people are seeing others that look like them representing them. So here's a little recap. Basically, this is our local government setup. We have a county board of supervisors with eight supervisors on it. Seven of those are elected from their individual magisterial districts. But one, the chairwoman or the chairman, is elected from the entire county at large. Then we have our state representatives, and those can either be our delegates or our senators. So we have eight delegates currently that are representing Prince William County or parts of Prince William County in Richmond. And then we have senators. There's about 40 senators total in the Virginia Senate, and we have five of them that have a part of Prince William County in their district. Federal government, I think, probably has the 
the least direct impact. It's a lot harder to see the impact the federal government has on you every day. You have a much bigger impact on your local community, both the state and local level. Local representation is very, very important. Um, and and people, they, they don't necessarily pay attention. They don't. They don't really think that way. I guess my biggest question is, what stops more black and brown folk from being in the picture? Could it be that they have no access to the information? Is there a language barrier? I, I just don't know what could be stopping them. Yeah, and it's also, I feel like, even within black and brown folks, there are some segments that are going to get the information, right? Whether if they don't have a language barrier, if they speak English, then clearly they can access voter information much more readily than other people can. And I think it could also be that people don't have enough time on their hands to engage in these political affairs. For instance, if you're working or if you're a student, how much time do you have to show up to the board meetings and really speak out on what you believe? And also, we've heard that Eastern side is younger and younger people tend to vote less. Or in general, it could be that people don't think their vote matters. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially, I like what you mentioned about the McCourt building. Or We also have to look at like, where is that building located? So if you live in Triangle, it's gonna take a whole lot longer for you to go and stand out there in front of the board and speak out about an issue that you care about before they vote on it. Versus if you live in Lake Ridge or if you live on one of those sides of the county. So I don't know, you're right. Maybe it is that people don't think that their vote matters. Maybe it's access, maybe it's language barriers. Maybe it's a whole lot of that. But it's about time that we started looking into those and looking into those seriously. At the end of the day, people don't know how much of an impact local has on them. You know, I, I had a Hispanic town hall once and I had to almost pay people to come. Um, it was probably about seven or eight years ago. And that was when I first learned that this driver's license issue was such a big deal. You know, I, I got I had I got about I had a couple people I knew who got some of their friends to come to my town hall. I tried advertising it. And nobody would have come if I hadn't gotten some people to reach out to them and make their friends come. And I talked about Medicaid and the yellow line. I talked about schools and all this stuff. And the first question they said was, when are you going to get me a driver's license? <laughs> and we spent 30 minutes talking about a driver's license because I didn't know that was a big issue to them because I'm not from that community and nobody was communicating with me. And I don't see them at my events. They won't come to my town halls. They don't send me emails, right? And so I had to really work to reach out to them to get them to engage. People want to talk about Trump and how they're opposed to the Muslim ban or ICE detention centers or police killings and healthcare and all of the other stuff. In fact, when in our county, we had 287G for over a decade and we got rid of it this year because it expired. But are you being vocal about all these topics on the local level when where your one vote and one voice is having an impact? Yeah, I wonder how many people even know what 287G was. So if you don't, take a look at it. It's not pretty. But basically, this reminds me of, of some of the statistics that we saw when we were looking at voter turnout, right? In 2017, I believe, we had the election for governor, where Ralph Northam, or Governor Blackface, was elected to office. And um, he was in the primary, in the Democratic primary, it was Ralph Northam versus Tom Periello. And so Tom Mariello, if you remember, was backed by Bernie and the gang, and Ralph Northam seemed much more of the establishment or typical Democratic candidate. Well, in Prince William County, when that primary happened, Tom Mariello lost by 76 votes. Oh. 76 votes. So please tell me how your vote doesn't count, right? And what's even sadder there 
is that only 9% of registered voters actually even voted in that election. See, this is exactly what they want. Those people that want to disenfranchise your vote, those people that don't want you to speak about politics or think you're too young to be involved. They don't want you to vote. They want you to think that your vote does not matter, that you're just one of millions and millions of votes and it's gonna get lost in the process or right now they wanna talk about voter fraud and ballots being lost in the mail. It's your job to counter that narrative, to show up, to vote, to run. All of those things that you can do to make sure that your county, your local environment reflects your values. So just like Iker was talking about, if you're against the Muslim ban, well then make sure that we have religious protections where mosques can get built and have the same standards as churches do. Not the history of this county, by the way. Or if you believe that every single human being is legal and has a right to exist, well, perhaps you should have looked into 287G in the history of this county when it goes to that. Or if you care about police killings, well, have you ever looked into the data for our police? Look, I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying have you even looked into it? Because before somebody was killed, nobody was talking about Kenosha, Wisconsin either. Wow, I mean, I don't even know where we go from here. Well, I don't know, there's a lot. I I get heated about this kind of stuff, but I don't know if you know about this, but on your ballot in November is not just gonna be Donald Trump or Joe Biden, right? That's an easy choice for many of us. But there's also gonna be an amendment on there, an amendment to the Constitution of Virginia. And that amendment deals specifically with the idea of gerrymandering. We mentioned gerrymandering earlier when we were talking about one of the Senate districts, but gerrymandering also affects our congressional districts, our house districts, and even the districts of our schools. And so for the longest time, it's been a very partisan issue. Whichever party was in power draws the way that the districts look to be able to maximize the number of votes that they can get for their specific party. In essence, they're trying to ensure the fact that their party can stay in power for years. Well, actually, probably a decade, because that's how long it takes between one census to the next census. By the way, fill out your census if you haven't yet. So what's happening right now is pretty interesting. The Democrats have historically been calling out gerrymandering for the longest time. And now that they're in power, they have the actual ability to be able to stop processes like gerrymandering. But a recent resolution that was passed to the House, and and now we have a referendum that's coming up, is actually not being supported by the Democrats, or a majority of the Democrats are not supporting it. In fact, they're encouraging you to vote no on it. So how come? So we actually asked Halayala why majority of the Democrats are not supporting this amendment. It is very interesting. And, um, you know, we fought for independent redistricting for years and have been constantly blocked by the Republican majority. I was, I voted yes the first time, to be fair. I voted yes. We voted yes. And then after further investigation, we found that as Trump is dismantling the Voting Rights Act, we're finding that this constitutional amendment was then becoming weakened, right? And then other aspects of it. So for instance, um, you know, we wanted the independent redistricting. I had legitimate concerns when it came to legislators picking a commission and it wasn't independent, it was bipartisan. So we're picking five, five Republicans, five Democrats, and legislators are still involved or engaged in this commission in some shape or form of drawing their districts. I don't believe that legislators should be picking their voters. It's just not something I believe in. So I voted no with my black caucus members. When you say nonpartisan, you mean somebody who is not influenced by a political agenda to draw fair, transparent, and constitutionally structured maps so that we are not compacting maps, you know, 
redlining or anything, but when you have it, legislators engaged, what is really going to change? Uh, we tried to pass a lot of measures that would include guardrails to protect us against some of these flaws in this amendment, and we were not always successful in some of those measures. Um, if this commission doesn't agree, it's going to be kicked back to a Republican appointed um, Virginia Supreme Court, and I'm not comfortable with that. So where do we go from here? Obviously, there's an election coming up on November 3rd. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to please register to vote. The deadline is October 13th. Please, I beg you, tell your mother, tell your sister, tell your brother, tell your neighbors, tell your teachers, tell your students. Tell the people in front of you in the checkout line, tell the people in the grocery stores and gas stations. <laughs> Everywhere, basically. I think what they're trying to say is tell everyone that you possibly can to get out there, register to vote, vote early, or vote on the day of the election, please. Lives literally depend on this election. But with that said, this is not the only important election coming up. Next year in Virginia, we will be electing our governor and lieutenant governor. And even before that, we will be having our primaries to determine the candidate that best reflects your values. So basically every year in Prince William County, we have an election. So if you decide to waste your vote, please don't waste your breath complaining about any of the issues we have in this county. Period. All right, folks, that's it for our episodes on local matters. Thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of Prince William Colors. And please vote and please spread the word. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Thank you for joining us and stay tuned for an upcoming episode where we will discuss our county school system. Remember, the views expressed on this podcast are those of the content creators and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect those of an official entity. This has been Prince William Colors. Prince William Colors is an inclusive production. If you have questions, an idea for an episode, or just want to get involved, contact princewilliamcolors at gmail.com. More episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So don't forget to subscribe.